He came in 57th place. But his story is one that continues to be told through the years. His name was John Stephen Aquari. And John Stephen Aquari was a long-distance runner in the 1960s and 1970s from the nation of Tanzania. In fact, he was pretty good. He was good enough that in 1968, he actually qualified for the Mexico City Olympics in the marathon. Only 75 people in the world qualified for that race. He was one of those 75. But John Stephen Aquari admitted that he made a mistake in that in his training, he forgot to train at the altitude at which Mexico City sits. And very early on in that 26.2 mile race, he began to suffer from cramping and other issues. And a little less than halfway through the race, he was actually in a pack of runners and was bumped by another runner and fell onto the pavement. He wounded a knee. He hurt some of his joints. In fact, the shoulder that hit the pavement was quite severely injured. He was hurt enough that he had to receive medical attention while the race continued. And yet after he'd received medical attention, in fact, I know this is a blurry picture. It's the best one I could find. You may see around his knee, there's there's a bandage tied. After he'd received that medical attention, he got up and started running again. First place in the 1968 Mexico City Olympics went to Mamo Walde of Ethiopia. He finished the marathon that year with a time of two hours, 20 minutes, and 26 seconds, approximately 400 hours faster than I ever could. Second place came into the stadium and crossed the finish line. Third place. In fact, they had the medal ceremony when word came that a runner was still on the course. And it was John Stephen Aquari, who had received medical attention and yet got up and began to run very slowly again. And all of a sudden, a figure entered the stadium. And John Stephen Aquari, over an hour after the other runners had finished, came into the stadium, saw the finish line, and crossed. With a time of three hours, 25 minutes, and 27 seconds. That day, 75 people began the Mexico City Marathon in the Olympics. Due to various injuries and difficulties, 18 did not finish. 57 finished And John Stephen Aquari finished 57th. But it's his story that continues to be told because not that he finished 57th, but because of something he said later. In a television interview, he was basically asked, why did you do this? You were hurt. There was no chance you could finish on the medal stand, much less win this race. What in the world were you thinking? And very famously, Mr. Aquari said, my country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race. My country sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. As a Christian, you ever been discouraged? That's a rhetorical question, isn't it? (laughs) You ever been frustrated? You ever gone through a season of life where Maybe you've looked up and, and if you please, the finish line has seemed so far out there that you think, why keep going? What are you supposed to do when you feel like quitting? 
There are people, I would almost guarantee you, who are sitting in these seats, who, who come to worship, who come to church. And yet maybe you're thinking, is this really worth it? Maybe we just come because we've always come. It's just kind of a social thing. But there are some people who are going through seasons that just wonder, is all this worth it? I want you to turn your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. We read it a few minutes ago from Hebrews chapter 12. But I want you to turn back to the beginning of that book, the book of Hebrews. And while you're turning to the beginning of the book of Hebrews, let me remind you that that particular New Testament book was written to Christians, but Christians who were going through a very difficult time. In fact, some had already given up. But some were considering it because of of persecution, because of temptation. They were basically asking that same question. Is this worth it? And in many ways, the book of Hebrews was written to them to basically say it's more than worth it. It's, It's beyond worth it. And sprinkled throughout this particular book, in fact, near the end of the book, the writer would call this entire letter a word of encouragement or a word of exhortation. Sprinkled throughout this book, there are all kinds of words and phrases and pictures that are given to these Christians, basically saying, don't give up. Don't quit. I'm not going to give all of them to you this morning, but I'm going to give you a, a representative sample. And if you mark in your Bible, you may want to underline these or write out on the side, don't quit. You may want to make a list on your, your phone or something. But just listen to some of these and follow along. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Don't drift away. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. The same chapter, chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, excuse me, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Chapter 4, verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Chapter 4, verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Chapter 6, verse 11 and 12. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. So that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Chapter 6, verse 18. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge may have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place. Behind the curtain. Skip over to chapter 9. Verse 
27 beginning. And just as it is, just as it is appointed for man to die once. And after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Chapter 10, beginning in verse 35. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Chapter 12, verse 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father is not disciplined? The same chapter, chapter 12, verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, later, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness for those who have been trained by it. And chapter 13, verse 14. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. It is no wonder then that in chapter 13 and verse 22, the writer calls this entire book a word of exhortation. A word of encouragement. But of all those words of encouragement found throughout this book, the one that we skipped and the one that we're going to be studying this morning is the one we read a little while ago in Hebrews chapter 12. I want you to turn to that passage, chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3. And our whole outline is going to come from that passage. Because you may be going through a season in life right now where you are wondering, is all this worth it? I am so frustrated. I am so discouraged. I'm so down. I'm thinking of just quitting this. Or maybe you're not. But we all know that as long as we are Christians, that season is coming. There's going to be a time where we wonder, is this worth it? What can I do when I feel like giving up? What do I do when I feel like quitting? Four things from this passage. First of all, when you feel like quitting, you need to recall the previous champions. The little word found at the beginning of chapter 12 is so important. The word, therefore. And the word, therefore, at the beginning of chapter 12, of course, connects what we're studying this morning with what was found in the previous chapter, which probably is the most famous section of the book of Hebrews. Sometimes chapter 11 is called faith's hall of fame or the hall of faith. It's all those by faith. So and so did this and by faith. So and so did that all through the chapter. People like Abraham and Noah and Moses and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and all through. There are about 15, I believe, people listed in that chapter who did some amazing things. And here in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, they are referred to as a cloud of witnesses. But do you notice that in Hebrews 12, 1, the writer says that we are surrounded by that cloud of witnesses. That word surrounded, it's a great translation because the word literally means to be enveloped. It's as if all those people that... We have learned about since we were little kids in Bible class. We learned their their little stories, their little biographies. It's as if all those people are around us all the time. But he calls them a cloud of witnesses. This is the Greek word martis. 
It's where we get our word martyr from. And not everyone in Hebrews chapter 11 was what we typically think of as a martyr, someone who died for their faith or died for a belief. Noah didn't, for example. He didn't die for his belief. He didn't die for his faith. You see, the word martyr, that's not the only thing it means. Because behind that definition, there's actually an undercurrent that means communication. And that's the reason that word is used here. It is as if those who are listed in Hebrews 11, some by name and some not by name near the end of the chapter, it is as if they are still communicating with us through their examples found in Scripture. By the way, this ties together the very first person listed in Hebrews 11. Remember, Abel, verse 4 of chapter 11, even though he is dead, still speaks. And here you have that tied together all the way at the end of the list or after the end of the list in chapter 12, where the writer says it is as if every person listed in Hebrews 11 is enveloping us and cheering us on. You know, sometimes we look at those people listed in Hebrews 11, and I think, God's never asked me to build an ark. That just hasn't happened. And we see some of the actions those people did, and we think, I- I've never been asked to do that. Or sometimes we just think, I could not do anything as amazing or anything that's going to be remembered for all this time like, like what they did. You ever thought about the fact that, yeah, God did ask Noah to build an ark. But he didn't ask Abraham to. He didn't ask Enoch to do that. He didn't ask Gideon to do that. All those people are listening in that chapter too. And I think one of the important things for us to remember is all those examples are there to encourage us and to motivate us to simply do what God has asked us to do. Not necessarily do what they did. He's not going to ask you and I to build an ark. I don't think. I don't, I don't find that in the New Testament anywhere. But he's going to ask me to be faithful. And it may come a point in my life or points in my life where even that can be a struggle. Well, because of difficulties, because of temptations, because of different things. It can be difficult. And yet I look at Hebrews 11 and I don't see perfect people. We'll mention that again in a few minutes. But I see people who simply did what God asked them to do. Sometimes that's the motivation we need to remember that you're not the first one to do something difficult. To go through a season of life that's a struggle. And to look at their lives and see that it's as if in this race they've handed the baton to you. But they're also still standing there cheering you on. When you feel like quitting, recall the former champions. Number two, when you feel like quitting, it's time to remove some obstacles. You know, runners are not going to do too well in a race if they try to run the race with a suitcase full of lead. They're not going to do too good if they fill a backpack with bricks and start running running that. That's just not going to work real well. My, my brother-in-law runs long distance. I make fun of him for it all the time because I think he's nuts. But but tomorrow, he's actually really good at it. Tomorrow, Lord willing, he's going to run the Boston Marathon for the second time. He's really good at it. And... He's run New York and Boston, all these things, a lot of local marathons. And I see pictures of it because I'm not about to run beside him. It's not about to happen. So I see pictures of him on the course. And you know what I never see? 
He's a busy guy, but I've never seen him running those races with his laptop over here and his cell phone over here doing work while he's running. I've never seen that. That doesn't make any sense. I've never seen him put a backpack on with, you know, a whole bunch of a whole bunch of bricks or a whole bunch of full bottles of water and take off for twenty six point two miles. The only time you might see something in his hand is when he goes over to the side of the course and picks up a cup of water to to rehydrate himself for a moment. And even even those who run those races, even their shoes really don't weigh much. It's it's amazing because they realize that if they're going to run this distance at a pace that they need to, anything that slows them down simply cannot be part of what they have on their persons. They simply wear simple clothing, maybe a visor to keep the sun out of their eyes and light shoes. And that's it. They take off anything and everything that might slow them down. And so in the middle of Hebrews 12, 1, that's exactly the picture you see. Where the writer says that we need to lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely or the sin that does so easily beset us, the old King James says. You think about the two things he mentions there. Lay aside every weight. That's kind of an odd phrase to me. But I think all he has in mind is this. There are some things that may or may not be sinful, but that can hinder me from being as effective or as efficient in the Christian race as I possibly can be. For example, maybe maybe it's a relationship that I'm just not willing to work on and repair. And that struggle is holding me back from being as efficient and effective as I can be. Maybe it's an attitude that I need to, to work on. Maybe it's bitterness. Bitterness towards a particular person or just... Bitterness to the world in general. Nobody likes me and everybody hates me. Think I'll go eat worms. Yeah, you know, that's just kind of my attitude all the time. Maybe it's, maybe it's a friendship that doesn't need to be a friendship. Because when I'm around that person, or I'm around that group of people, I'm not necessarily doing what they're doing, but I'm also not doing what I should be doing. They're holding me back from being as effective, as faithful as I possibly can be. And so the writer says, lay aside those things. But then he also says, lay aside the sin that clings so closely or that does so easily beset us. Some through the years have suggested that what the Hebrews writer has in mind is that each one of us has some particular sin that might hold us back. For, For example, maybe you became a Christian but before you were a Christian, you struggled, for example, with alcohol. And now you, you struggle continually with that sin. I, I don't think necessarily that's what he has in mind because he's been speaking generically enough with this idea of laying aside weight. I think what he's trying to get across is this. Any sin can cling closely to me if I let it. It may be something that never tempted me before I became a Christian. But now, for some reason, because of where I live or the people I work with or whatever, something about that is tempting me now that never really did before. And any sin can cling to us and beset us if we allow it to. Neil Lightfoot, in his one of his commentaries in the book of Hebrews, says that what he pictures when he reads this is the picture of a runner who accidentally wears a, a, a garment that has a, a, tr- a train behind it. And as the... As the race goes on, that train begins to get wrapped around the runner's feet and ankles and things. And the runner's still moving forward, but just barely. They have to work so hard at it. He says that's a picture of what the writer might have had in mind here. That anything that might slow me down, anything that might keep me from being effective, and for sure any sin that is clinging to me that I'm not 
putting away. I need to put all of those things away. Folks, there is absolutely nothing in this world that should keep me from running the race of Christ. There's nothing that's worth it. There's nothing. And sometimes, sometimes we feel like quitting because we're trying to run the Christian race and we've got weights on our feet. And we're exhausted. It brings to mind what Jesus said, of course, in a different context, I understand. But when he said, you can't serve two masters. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24. And what he's trying to get across there is you can't, you can't have it both ways. You can't be faithful and sort of faithful. You can't for sure be faithful and unfaithful. There is absolutely nothing that is more important that, that should draw us away from running the race that God has set before us. If you like quitting, look and see. Is there an obstacle that needs to be removed? Number three, when you feel like quitting, it's time to run and run and run and run and run. I thought about putting up that like 50 times. I thought you all would just, you know, kill me or something. Be, be really mean. But he goes on to say, when you've taken all that stuff off, when you, when you remove the weight, when you remove the sin, there's still a race to run. And so he says, you run with endurance, some translations, English Standard Version, others, patience, a lot of translations have. You run with endurance, you run with patience, the race that is set before you. It's from this context that we most often get the picture of the Christian life being a marathon and not a sprint. We've heard that you know illustration notes on how many times. But it's, it's this context that gives us that. You have to run it with endurance. The race that is set before you. That word endurance or patience is a Greek word. It's really fun to say. Hupomone. Now, how fun is that? I, I just learned it. I just want to say it because it's fun. Okay. Hupomone. It, it's a compound word. The first part, hupo, means under or beneath. The second part, mone, means to abide. To abide under. Are you starting to see what he's saying? You have to run at times when you have to bear up under certain things. There is not a verse in the New Testament that says when you become a Christian, every step is easy. You will not find that verse. And praise God, you won't find that verse. Because God is willing to say there are times, even in the lives of Christians, when we have to bear up under certain things. But the Bible does say that even when we are bearing up under those things, we still need to put one foot in front of the other. There is still a race to be run, even if at times we are struggling simply to go forward in our life. You know, even those who run marathons as world-class athletes, even they will tell you that at times, based on certain conditions or things, that sometimes they struggle even to finish. I mean, they run them all the time, but they will tell you there are certain times where it's just harder. Maybe it's the course itself. Maybe like Mr. Aquari in 1968, maybe it's the elevation. Maybe they haven't trained as well as they should. Maybe it's that the course is hilly and they, they, they've forgotten that or hadn't trained for that. Maybe it's just because they hadn't felt well recently and their body's still recovering. But there are times where it's just difficult. And sometimes they have that reality. You've heard them talk about hitting the wall. 
Where they, you know, their body goes, wait a minute, what are you doing here? (laughs) They've run 17 miles and their body goes, I think that's all for today. And they struggle to even put one foot in front of the other. You know, at times in our Christian lives, we can struggle with that. Sometimes we look up. And if we were to live a a normal life cycle, which none of us knows how long we will live, but if we were to live basically a normal life cycle, I could look up and see, you know, I've got 20, 30, 40, 50, in the case of some of our young people, 60, 70 years to run this race. That's a long time to try to remain faithful. That's a long time to try to fight off the temptations of the devil. Is it worth it? I want to divert just for a second. It's still on topic, but it may seem like I'm skipping to a different subject for a second. But I want to talk to those of you who are, who are, what would you like to be called? Elderly, aged, senior saints, young at heart, holding our own, whatever, whatever you want to be called, whatever. Let me just talk to you for a minute. Those of you who put yourselves in that category, I'm not going to put an age on it because I like my job, but those of you who are, who are in that category, and who are remaining faithful, you have no idea how much motivation you give to the rest of us. You have no idea. We have watched you go through the fires of life. We have watched you go through seasons where you struggle. And for some of you, we watch now, and maybe, maybe you can't do everything you used to do. Maybe your body just isn't as strong. Maybe you just can't do things for as, as long of a time as you used to. But every time we see you in this room singing, or every time we see you after services shaking someone's hand and giving them a smile, or every time that, that we're sick or our kids are sick or something, and we get a card from you or a phone call from you or something, you have no idea how much wind that puts in our sails. Because we have seen you go through all these years and yet still keep running the race. And it gives us the hope that we can do the same thing. And if I can give you one word of encouragement, I've heard from some of you before who say, I I just can't do everything that I used to do. I just can't do all the things I want to do. Can I remind you of something that Solomon said? You remember his father, David, wanted to build a temple? But God wouldn't allow him to. He was a man of war, a man of blood. But then he said, your son will build it. And David wanted so desperately to build that temple that he went ahead and gathered all kinds of materials and basically drew up the blueprints. I mean, basically all Solomon had to do was go, go do it. I mean, it was amazing how much David wanted to build this thing. And finally, First Kings chapter 8 comes along. It's dedication day for the temple. And Solomon delivers a great speech. He leads a really long prayer. But in that great speech, I want you to listen to what Solomon said in First Kings 8 and verse 18. But the Lord said to my father, David, whereas it was in your heart to build a house for my name. Listen to this. You did well that it was in your heart. Some of you can't do everything you used to do. But God knows that you're doing what you can. And God knows that in your heart, you will be doing so much more simply physically or mentally you could. He knows that. That should put some wind in your sails. Keep doing what you're you're doing. Keep doing what you can. But never let that fire die. That I wish I could do more. But I just can't. But every time we see you do something, we're encouraged. 
we are greatly encouraged. We look ahead and we see maybe decades before us if we live a normal life cycle and we think, I'm just not worth it. I just don't know if it's worth it. And then I remember what Paul said. Do not grow weary in doing good or in well-doing. For in due season we will reap if, conditional, if we do not faint or do not lose heart. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. When you feel like quitting, sometimes all you can do is put one foot in front of the other. And you know what? That's quite all right. Number four, when you feel like quitting, remember Jesus. I love the little phrase that opens verse two, where the Hebrews writer says, looking to Jesus. Now, why would the author put that little phrase right here? Remember I mentioned a few minutes ago, we were talking about the people of Hebrews chapter 11. And we said if we looked closely enough at them, we might find some flaws. I think that's one of the reasons he puts this phrase here. Because if we look at the people in Hebrews 11, we're reminded they were people. They made mistakes. Yes, they did some amazing things for God. And we we teach our children those things. And we're still motivated by those things. But if we look closely enough at their lives, we're going to see they messed up. But not Jesus. Never. And you think about the context that we're studying. Jesus is the only person who has ever lived, who laid aside every weight and never once had a sin cling closely to him. And he finished his race. He set out to run the course and he did. To finish the work of God. I wish I had time this morning. I've already gone longer than I wanted to this morning. I'm, I'm, I'm preaching. I'm ready. I, I like this sermon, okay? But I wish I had time this morning to share with you. I've got a little book in my office. about 100 pages long. A guy named G. Campbell Morgan, who several years ago wrote a little tiny book on just some of his favorite phrases from Hebrews. And he wrote like eight pages on this phrase, looking to Jesus. It, it's incredible. I won't read it all to you because you would be bored probably, but I love what he says at the end of it, okay? This is how he concludes that little, his thoughts on the phrase looking to Jesus. He says, it has as its root significance a looking which can only be described as that of staring, not a casual glance, not the look of complete apprehension, not the look of investigation, not the look of critical activity, but the look that suggests amazement, the seeing of something which has completely captured the mind. The little word looking is also a compound word. The first part of it means to away from, away from. And the second part of the word means beholding. What the Hebrews writer is saying is you have seen all these people in Hebrews 11. You know Noah, you know Abraham, you know Gideon, you know, you've seen those people. Now it's time to look away from them and behold Jesus And he will hold your attention like nothing else ever could. It's as if everything else fades away. And so the songwriter put it this way. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of his glory. And grace. Folks, it was not easy for Jesus. In the, in the scripture reading that Reese read a little while ago, do you remember? It, it tells us he endured the cross. Not he just went through with it. He endured the cross. And there was shame that was connected with it. 
In fact, the next verse tells us that he endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Jesus's life was not just an easy walk to fulfill some plan. All along the way, there were struggles. But especially when you come to the cross, there were struggles. A friend of mine who really wrote, he wrote five lines that that, uh, gave me the thought to write this entire sermon. He said this, do you want to be distressed? Then look within. Do you want to be defeated? Then look back. Do you want to be distracted? Then look around. Do you want to be dismayed? Then look ahead. Do you want to be delivered? Then look up. It's time when you feel like quitting to take a moment, step away from everything and remember Jesus. Look to him. Let everything else fade away. And remember that He has already walked the path that you walk. Whatever you are facing, He understands. Are you discouraged because someone has hurt you? He understands that. Are you discouraged because you're sick or someone you know is sick? He understands that. Are you discouraged because you've lost someone that you love? He understands that. Are you discouraged because you're being tempted? He understands that. It's time to look to Jesus. And remember... That everything else can fade away. And as long as I'm looking at Him, it'll all be okay. John Stephen Aquari was a man who finished in 57th place. But his story continues to motivate us. Yeah, there's a a national pride side to his story. Because he he talked about his country and wanting to run for his country, finish the race for his country. But it's also such a human side to it. Because every one of us at some point in our life has fallen down. Every Every one of us at some point in our life has struggled. Every one of us at some point in our life has felt battered and bruised and hurt and discouraged and frustrated. And to see someone who had absolutely zero hope of winning the race still get up, and still run into that stadium, and still cross the finish line, we look at that and we think, why? Because he understood. As Brother Martel Pace put it, there is no prize for the one who doesn't finish the race. Aren't you thankful that in the Christian life, There's not a medal stand. There's not a first place Christian. There's not a silver medal Christian. Or a bronze trophy Christian. They don't give out blue ribbons and red ribbons and whatever third place, white ribbons or whatever. They don't don't give those out. You know what happens? If you simply will not quit. The one who has already run the race. The one who has already shown it can be done. Is the one who's standing at the finish line. And he will be the one. To give every person who finishes faithfully. A crown of life. Please. Please don't quit. This morning, if you're discouraged, if you're frustrated, if you're down, if you're disheartened, 
In just a moment, Brother Ricky's going to lead us in a, a song. We always sing an invitation song at the end of the sermon, not, not just as a way to say that's the end of the sermon. We call it a song of encouragement. We always want people to take that opportunity if they've never become a Christian, if they've never started on that, that run to, to, to be, become a Christian. We always want that. And we, we pray for that every week, every time on Sunday morning before we come to the building. I say a short prayer, praying that someone will become a Christian that day. Sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. And we always say that if, you've, if you're a Christian but you've fallen away, you're living in sin, you need to return in faithfulness, we, we obviously want people to return to faithfulness. And I pray for that as well. But I will tell you, the last few days I have prayed fervently, fervently, that this morning, someone or someones who are just down and who just need some wind in their sails will come down let us encourage them. Let their brothers and sisters pray for them. And if you've been here at any time at all, you know, you better get ready for some handshakes and hugs <laughs> and words of encouragement. And I pray that you won't see that as any shame to come forward because we all at times struggle. Therefore, seeing that we are surrounded by so great a crowd of witnesses. Recall those former champions. Let us weigh aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely. Remove the obstacles. And let us run with endurance, patience. Run, run, run. The race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus. Remember Him. Who endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And if I may add, he will reward you. Whatever your need is this morning, please come. Please come. We stand and sing to encourage.